Inter-Miami win in a row. A first in the U.S. Open Cup and the first against Miami FC in the Miami Clasico. Hello everyone, you are listening to Miami Total Football Radio, the number one podcast on all things Inter-Miami. We provide you all the latest news, updates, inside information, analysis, opinions, and more. We are also known as Miami Total Football Radio, a podcast that has been listened to in more than 50 countries. There's only two co-hosts on this week's episode. I am Franco Panizo. I am one of those two. The other one is Steve El Primo Brenner. So no Jose Armando this week, folks, or for this second episode of the week, folks, because he has conflicting things going on with his schedule. I kind of think it's because Miami FC lost, and because of that, he doesn't want to show face. It's like when Steve was gone during Inter Miami's poor stretch. I think it has something to do with that. No, obviously, I'm just kidding. Steve, you're here. You're present. You're in attendance. How are you, my friend? All good, thanks, mate. Yeah, not 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 too bad. Nice little. We had a nice little trip down to <laughs> Kendall uh, in the week. Enjoyable game, or not so, as I'm sure you're going to tell me in a minute. We met uh, your man Bernie from, uh, from from Vice City, right? Yes, from Vice City. Yeah, top man. No, nice to meet them. Shame we couldn't have hung out for a beer with them afterwards. I was very keen, but uh, we just had to get back. But there, we'll uh, we'll definitely do that when we're back in Fort Lauderdale at, at some point. And um, yeah, just interested to see now if they can wheel off win number four which i think would actually phil neville said that this could be the first time they win four in a row but i don't think that's correct is it i think it might be i mean i'd have to really look into it but i think i don't think they've ever won four games in a row i mean in a row heady no. heights, in a row no heady heights of four 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 wins in a row but it's 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 possible but uh yeah all, all good this end yeah i don't i don't believe so because even last year when they went on their their good spell they had draws in between, so I don't think they've ever won four in a row. I think that that's accurate from from Phil Neville. But we will touch on that. We're going to preview this weekend's game against Atlanta United for Inter Miami, and we will do that with Doug Roberson of the Atlanta Journal Constitution. We'll do that in the second segment. Of course, we will review, recap, and analyze, and absolutely debate because we've already had some discussions, Steve and I, about the Miami Classico, which took place on Tuesday night against Miami FC. Was it a good performance? No. Does Do the ends justify the means? Well, we'll talk about that. Of course, at the very end of the show, we'll also do the Q&A session. Of course, you guys have hit us with some good ones yet again, so we will make sure to answer as many of those as possible at the very end. Steve, before we jump all right into it, I do want to say thank you for driving me down to Miami for that game. We did have a nice little Miami Total Football Radio Road trip, although your music taste is questionable, I have to say. Your music taste is very, very questionable. I have to share that with the listeners because, uh, yeah, Steve is definitely playing some funky, funky tunes. (laughs) What's wrong with that? Uh, I didn't say there's anything wrong with that. I just said it's questionable. questionable. I told you I was going to give you a musical education as well as as a soccer education I give you every single day. Wow. uh, Hey, I like it. I like it. I like the fight. Music music education is fine. I'm I'm exposing you to different things, man. I'll I'll send you a playlist one day. Although I heard you talking for at least half, if not more, of the ride because you were taking phone calls left and right. Steve Brenner is a busy, busy man, everybody. A busy, mm-hmm. busy man, just just moving, moving pieces, chess pieces here and there, making phone calls, getting phone calls. It was it was a sight to behold it's to see setting, El Primo in in his element. Setting setting the agenda just day after day. You know what can you do? It's, uh, <laughs> it's a very busy news cycle. 
<laughs> okay, well, enough of our road trip. We have plenty of football to talk about, so primo. Let's get to it. Okay, listeners, so Inter-Miami won in the U.S. Open Cup on Tuesday night down at FIU Stadium, beating Miami FC 1-0 in the first ever official Miami Clasico. Leonardo Campana with the lone goal for the MLS team in the 83rd minute. Heck of a finish from the Ecuadorian who is red hot. This was the starting lineup from Inter Miami. They came out in a, I would say a 4-3-3. Some people said it's a 4-1-4-1. I would say it was a 4-3-3. And we'll dive into the different elements and aspects of of what went into that formation. But since it's a, since I'm saying it's a 4-3-3, this is what what uh, what Inter Miami went with. Drake Callender in goal. Your back four from right to left were Jairo Quinteros, Damian Lowe, Amey Mabika, Noah Allen. Your midfield three were Mo Adams as the six, as the defensive midfielder. And then you had Gregory and Bryce Duke as more advanced number eights. And then your front three from right to left were Emerson Rodriguez on the right, Leonardo Campana at striker, and Robert Taylor as the left winger. Now, Steve, we had some debate on the trip back. When you actually started playing somewhat better music, I will say, some slightly better music, but we started started to debate a little bit, but we said, let's save it. Let's not get into it. I think you didn't want to really have a full-blown discussion in your car as is, but... We needed to save it for the show. Otherwise, we would use up all our good ammunition. So, th- they win. Inter Miami wins. But the performance put forth was not great. What's your analysis of the result and the performance overall? Yeah, look, look, I mean, you know, they got the got the job done. I think, you know, we definitely made the point that Miami played well. Miami FC definitely had a good an hour. We spoke to Anthony Pulis after the game. He was bit peed off really the fact that they just they had them on the ropes and, and they just didn't take their chance and that's unfortunately the difference sometimes between the, the different levels of, of teams you just need that that extra spark just to try and, and get the goal difficult pitch local derby raucous atmosphere in the stands it was it was decent you know I just it's, it wasn't all conducive to sometimes you can't play free-flowing beautiful tiki-taka football and, and wow the crowds and come away with a three nil win I, I just think they, they ground out a, a win and that was that was it, really. Two not great teams, you know. If, if truth, truth be told, both trying to just struggle to finding a, a bit of identity right this season. So, and and if you would have said it's a cliche, you would have said to Phil Neville before the game, "You're going to win one nil in the 83rd minute." I think he would have snapped the proverbial arm off, just like most of the players would. So I, I can't, I couldn't criticise them too much. It wasn't great, but also he did make some changes. It wasn't a first full strength team, and when he did put. The bigger guns in, as, as Anthony also admitted afterwards to me, that once they did put those bigger guns on, you know, uh, Yedlin, uh, Lasseter, um, you know, just a bit more, bit more speed, bit more directness, and it caused them problems. Eventually, that that led to the goal. So, you know, they they did job done onto the next one. We'll remember it. For, I remember it for being the occasion, and and it was cool to be there, and it's great to see, especially some of the local, the local fans coming, you know, coming up. It was a local game, unfortunately, for most of those guys. Um, that was cool. Before the match, not so, but job done. So, to put it succinctly, they got the result. That is the most important thing. They avoid the banana 
skin, as as Phil Neville and you refer it to here on the, in the states, we say banana peel, but you we we get we get the the overall meaning. Yes. Now, was this performance good enough? They won. They move on. That's most important. But was the performance against an inferior team, against a team that plays in a in a in a lower division, was it good enough? Yes or no? Yes, because they. Oh won. my! See, yes, that's such a result. Won. That's such a. It's you know what you know what they would call you in Spanish resultadista. Just because they won does not mean that I'm the not, performance is all saying... is fine. No, no. I, the question was: is, no. was, it, was it good enough? And you said, and you just said, yeah, it was good enough because they won. It was good enough. Yeah, no, because it was yeah, absolutely it was... not good enough. That was a terrible performance against a team from a lower division. I don't know. I can't. I can't understand how you can defend the performance. I no. listen. They won absolutely. That was the most important thing. Didn't matter how they got it done. But you would expect Inter Miami to play better against Miami FC. But they hung in, and and but they hung in there. Miami FC played again. Played above them. Played above themselves. They they hassled. They harried. They contested every 50-50 ball, second balls. Made it difficult for them. Made it difficult for them. Even you can't, you can't have it one way. You can't say, "Oh, Miami FC played really well. That was really great." And then criticize. On the other hand, say, "Well, Miami into Miami didn't play well enough." There's a, there's like a, a tipping point at some point. But you've got to be relatively balanced and, and look at it and say, "Miami played pretty well. Didn't take the chances. As soon as into Miami put their bigger guns on, they they got the goal." You're they just regurgitating. You're just regurgitating the the analysis from Anthony Pulis because that's not my analysis at all. Miami FC was the better team through 70 minutes in this game. Yeah. Inner Miami didn't put I won't say didn't. They put very few shots on target. They finished with 4 overall compared to Miami FC's 3. The most dangerous one was Leonardo Campana's goal which came off of a fortuitous deflection in the build up. The other 3 also came in the second half. Damian Lowe header that lacked power and was routinely saved by Miami FC's goalkeeper. And then the other two were the ones at the doorstep that weren't cleanly hit. They were they were kind of mordido, as I said last week, kind of uh I don't know if scuffs the right translation, but they were they weren't hit cleanly and they were denied at the at the doorstep um by Miami FC's goalkeeper and, and a defender. But they weren't very like wow hits on frame that Miami FC had to make spectacular plays to stop. Inter Miami played very poorly in this game. Very poorly. And yes, Miami FC played well from an organization, uh, excuse me, uh, from a disciplined and organizational standpoint. And that's what kept Miami FC in the game and that's what uh, did not allow Inter Miami to do much of anything. Even when they brought on Lasseter and Robinson, the team didn't improve all that much. It's not like they started creating chance after chance after chance. What I think helped Inter Miami was Phil Neville's halftime substitutions of DeAndre Yedlin uh, and Christopher McVeigh coming into the game. Because now you had two fullbacks that could push into the attack a little bit more than you were getting from Jairo Quinteros and Noah Allen in the first half. And that gave Inter-Miami a little bit more control of the ball, a little bit more possession. And they were able to move their lines further forward. But they still didn't create a whole lot. They still weren't, weren't overly, overly impressive at any point in that game. At any point in that game, Miami FC deserved to be up 1-0 from the run of play. Especially after that that first half chance that Drake Callender made a fantastic, fantastic save on to save Inter-Miami's blushes. This performance was not good enough. The result, yes, they move on. 
That's the most important thing. But judging the performance, which is an important element in football, my friend. I know that you know we, we discussed this with a few colleagues post-game and you, were, you weren't having it. But the performance matters. And the performance left a lot, a lot to be desired. Well... I mean, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great. When when have we come away from saying they've played really well ever in the past sort of eighteen months? You know, uh, they just ground it out. I just yeah, and and it, it helps with confidence. If they would have lost the game, then it would have been you know, oh no, do mongering. This is it, the end. You know, they're hopeless. They can't do anything. But they won. They didn't play well. Fair enough. But they won. They showed spirit, togetherness. They came through it. And, you know, you'd hope that they will be sort of better for that that whole experience as, as a pretty young squad with young players, a lot of new players. It's all like little building blocks. And it sounds cliched and stuff like that and football manager-esque, but it's it's true. You know, winning winning does breed the confidence. I just don't think you could look to... You could hold your hands up and say, yeah, OK, they didn't play that great, which they didn't, but they won. So you just move on with it, really. I don't think there's not too much else to say about it. The performance was awful. Awful against an inferior team from a lower you're division. Making, again, you're making out as if they're, they're playing like sort of under eight schools team or something. I mean, they, they they were they they made it difficult. I think Miami made it difficult for them, trying to hit them on on the counter as much as possible, pressing them quite aggressively. I mean, you My, know. I, I didn't see a Miami team that was trying to. I saw a Miami team that Miami FC team. Excuse me, we have to differentiate here. I know we're used to just saying Miami friend or Miami, but Miami FC. Was just very organized in its def- in its defending, organized, and tight, solid. difficult to tight, break down. Exactly, and my and Inter Miami couldn't find a way to break them down in that first half. They didn't know how yeah. to break them down from the run of play when they had the ball. Which but is that's, that's been the problem. That's been their problem from from the start. So that that's an ongoing problem, isn't it? Where they just can't c- create enough. They, okay, so that's fine. This is so- not this is not an MLS game. This is not a team that has MLS resources against an MLS team. This is a team with less resources, something Anthony Pulis touched on with us in the preview pod. Not all, and this is, you know, he touched on just a minor aspect of it, but he touched on the recovery and 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 that side of things. That's just one element. Inter Miami has much more resources and a more talented team. So they should have played better. Absolutely should have played better. And I I don't give them a pass on the performance. They got the result. Awesome. That's great. Great for the Inter Miami fans. Great for the club that they move on to the next round. But the performance was poor, and it has to be improved. That 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 was almost unacceptable. Almost unacceptable. The first half was very poor. Very poor. They deserve to be down one zero at halftime. Drake Calendar again. He for me he was the man of the match. For me, I don't know if he was the man of the match for you. I don't know what your analysis is with regards to that. But if your goalkeeper is the man of the match, then clearly. You didn't do enough in other elements of the field, and clearly he was called upon to make some some key saves, which I think he did. So, uh, did you think he was the man of the match? Did you think somebody else was the man of the match? Um, yeah, I think I think they they defended pre- pretty well. Yeah, I guess Calendar was was did did well for Campagna put himself around. He kept he kept on going, didn't he? I thought Yedlin looked good when he when he came on. Lasseter too. Um, Noah Allen was quite quiet, wasn't he? Uh, you know, I think Bryce Duke started well and he faded a little bit. So, little fits and spurts from a, from a few players. But you know, there were some Columbus didn't Columbus lose to Detroit. Austin lost last night as well. There were some some shocks. So I think you know you just got to be a little bit circumspect and look at the from the bigger picture. And they they managed to get through when a lot of, of MLS teams struggled against against low lower league opposition. I mean that's just that is the magic of the cup. Inter Miami is an MLS team and is not supposed to lose 
Okay, but those upsets are not Columbus, so, those Columbus, upsets are not so, right those upsets but right. Are, and you think Columbus is not and you think Columbus is not getting is not getting criticized for that for that loss you don't think people are raising an eyebrow about that defeat of 100% course. of course so so okay and Inter Miami could have easily lost this game but they didn't that's so, okay they didn't, very, they? Very, very results way of looking for it again we're talking about the performance they got the result I'm acknowledging the good that they got the result that they didn't have to play well to win the game that is they, there's merit in that because there are only teams that only win when they play well. Inter Miami in this case against, again, I will reiterate, a team from a lower division that does not have the same resources. Inter Miami snuck out a win. Snuck out a win. They're on. They advance. They got the mid, They got the objective done. But the performance was very poor. Very poor. Now, like you said, like you mentioned, I made sure to point out, there were changes to the lineup. Quite a few of them, in fact. Phil Neville had said beforehand that Inter Miami was going to go with its strongest team. That they were not in a position to rotate that many players. But he did. Now, you called it kidology, I think. And can you explain that to the listeners who may not know what that is? Because I didn't know what it, what it meant. Uh, I, I get, I got your point, but I didn't understand what it meant. So, could you explain it to the to the just listeners, please? Of, yeah, just a bit of mind games. I think when he when he spoke, he knew that Phil Neville knew that Anthony Pulis and, and Miami FC people would be listening, and he said we're going to put a full strength team out. So that could then, he's he's kidding them on. He's 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 trying a few bit some mind games um, to, to maybe mess with their preparation, and it, it did keep, keep, catch them a little off guard. They were yeah. expecting, you know, a stronger lineup. So, look, you know. Phil never worked under Alex Ferguson for many years. He was the master of the mind games. So, um, you know, it all just plays in. You're never going to show your, your full hand before before the game. Yeah, he did. He did. Uh, Anthony Pulis did tell us in post game that he he was caught by surprise when he saw the Inter Miami lineup because he had heard the Inter Miami interviews leading up to the game. So he he was yeah. expecting Inter Miami to to come out with a full strength team. It did not. So. Obviously, maybe some of the preparation there goes a little bit out the window, not completely, but obviously, uh, uh, what's the phrase? I'm looking for the phrase. Uh, you know, there's 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 a there's a sporting advantage there for this, that tips in the balance of Inter Miami because they they were able to to dupe in uh, excuse me dupe Miami FC. Man, it's really difficult Inter Miami Miami FC. They were able to dupe Miami FC into thinking they would they would come out with one type of team and and they came out with a different one. So. Again, but Inter Miami didn't look good in that in, in that game. And in the first half, you know, the 4-3-3, they had Mo Adams playing as the 6 and Gregory and Duke as the 8. I thought the way that Inter Miami tried to press was interesting because Emerson Rodriguez stayed high with Leonardo Campana when Inter Miami was defending against the ball. And Robert Taylor dropped deeper. I don't know if it was to help Noah Allen out on that left flank or if they just wanted... Rodriguez's speed to help press up top because he wasn't as far back as Robert Taylor was in that first half. Bryce Duke was also tasked with pressing forward, and I guess maybe because of his young legs, his ability to, to run around the field, they had him press uh, at certain triggers when, when Miami FC tried to bring the ball forward. But it just didn't work largely, and, and Inter-Miami didn't create anything in that first half. Nothing, nothing. The second half... They got better, like I said, with the introduction of, of Yedlin and McVeigh, I thought. And then the game-winning goal comes off of uh, a good play from Christopher McVeigh and an assist from Robert Taylor, 
who I did not think had a good game. He gets the game-winning assist, but I don't think he had a good game. You've been pretty high on him. I've been... Quiet. Okay. quiet. Yeah, yeah he, he didn't have a great game. He didn't have a great game. But he got the game-winning assist. And, and maybe that's a, a microcosm of Inter, of Inter-Miami's night because he didn't play well, but he helps make the difference that pushes them over, over the line. Now, Campana scores again. His fourth goal in the last three games across all competitions. Jose is not here to debate it, unfortunately, because he's the one that's been saying Gonzalo Iguain's going back into the lineup when he's healthy and available. Just your thoughts on the red-hot form that Leonardo Campana is in. Yeah, I mean, no, good for him. It, bode, it definitely bodes well. You just got to keep on scoring. And, and Phil never mentioned it again, I think, after the match about the you know, the World Cup and what a sort of impetus and, and sort of focus that is for him. And I think that's that's huge. I mean, that's absolutely huge to have that sort of carrot dangling just above Leonardo Campagna um, all season. Uh, I think that's really going to benefit the, the team. Hopefully, if he can, as long as he can stay injury-free. But, you know, he's he's really driven right now to uh, A, keep his place in the team and then B, yeah, to get that World Cup spot and, and do well for in, in, in MLS. So I think, um, yeah, I think it's been a good definitely a good couple of weeks for him and that's what they've been crying out for isn't it? the whole time someone that can just just consistently score goals you know Higuain has only done it in fits and spurts you need a 20-25 goal a season guy that's that's the one that's going to keep you up the table get you in the playoffs and, and make you do you know better things than scrapping around waiting in the last day for trying to squeeze it in the playoffs so um, good start just need to keep it going he's definitely on a on a good run of form and and remind me needs to ride the hot hand for as long as possible at some point you imagine that it'll taper off he won't score for a few games but you got to keep going with the hot hand and phil neville did say that leonardo campana would start on sunday so gonzalo higuain status remains up in the air when i asked phil neville on monday about gonzalo higuain he said he was a question mark for the atlanta united game so we'll see if Iguain is healthy and ready to return, if he does, I imagine it would be in a bench role or a substitute role on the bench. If he does not, then Inter Miami has doesn't have to figure out the solution to that until the second, uh, or excuse me, until another week, not the second half. I was, I was still thinking about the game. So going back to the Open Cup, there will be a draw later today. We're recording on Thursday. The the draw will happen after we record. So we won't know who the opponent is most likely by the time we're finished. If Inter-Miami is trying to take this tournament as seriously as they claim to be, which, judging by their lineup choice in this game, maybe is not as serious as we thought, they're going to have to improve on that performance. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to touch on on this game? I thought, again, we touched on Drake Callender briefly. I don't know if you want to expand on that, just his overall performance, what he showed. He's the number three goalkeeper. He started an MLS game earlier this year, got another opportunity here. And remind me, could have gone with Clement Diop, but Phil Neville wanted to go with, with, the, with the younger goalkeeper, the number three, to give him some experience. Just anything you want to add with regards to his performance or just anything with regards to the game at all? Yeah, no, he looked, yeah, he looked, he looked pretty confident. We spoke to him afterwards, didn't he? And he seems like a like level-headed guy, pleased to get his... He knows his sort of... Um, you know, spot in the in, in the pe- in the pecking order, but um, yeah, no, I thought he came across he came across pretty well. And I think that's a good sign moving forward is just to have a good sort of you know group of, of goalkeepers that are willing to uh, that could just give you some um, some some selection uh, headaches. But yeah, just the just the atmosphere as well. I thought was was cool. I know it was yeah. 
it was majority of, of maybe Inter, Inter Miami fans, definitely locals. They made the the the, the themselves heard, but um, you know the local Miami fans as well sort of came out and made it really sort of cool atmosphere. And um, yeah, it just sort of heart sank a little bit because I know that you know each every week normally for USL games it's not it's not like that for them. But I think they're a nicely run club. Anthony Pulis is doing a good job. He's a good young manager. Um, so if anyone else, yeah, in that area needs to go and watch a soccer game and they can't get down to Fort Lauderdale, then definitely get down to FIU for sure. I enjoyed the atmosphere from what we could take in of it. Obviously, we were in the press box and, and the press box at FIU Stadium is closed door. The windows were closed. So it, it mutes a little bit of the chance and the, and the noise out in the stands, but you could hear a little bit of it seep in. And it's it was from what we perceived on the outside walking around the stadium going inside i thought the atmosphere was very fun festive a good football night for south florida so uh, i enjoyed it i enjoyed it the game left something to be desired but i enjoyed the the festivity in the atmosphere overall overall now before we wrap up this first segment and before we actually even change gears to a couple of other things that happened on tuesday I also want to give Trey Callender his due credit. Again, I thought he was the man of the match. And, you know, I, I remember in preseason covering a game where he committed two errors late on and and the team lost that preseason game. It was against CF Montreal. I had heard from sources that Trey Callender got a very big earful after that game. He got, he got chewed out for the mistakes because they cost and reminded me the game. But here, he saved their blushes. Was he the man of the match for you? I don't know if I got an answer from you there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's just pretty small sample base, wasn't it, really? But um, yeah, yeah, I think he, he kept them in it, didn't he? He kept them in it. Yeah, he, made, he even made one flying save on a free kick in the 72nd yeah, minute yeah. Uh, in the second half. half. Obviously, the, the, the save on in the first half when he stops the one-on-one from uh, Murphy, I believe. That one was, was the one that most people, you know, remember. But he also made a very good free kick save in the in the second half so Drake calendar man of the match give him his due credit the goal scorers normally get all the love but Drake calendar deserves his his shout for a good performance there at the back also of note damian lowe received a second yellow a red card in the 94th minute in stoppage time he will miss the next open cup game he's out he'll have to serve that suspension by the way any opinions on the referee any any Anything at all there? I did not think she had a great end of the first half. I thought she lost the plot a little bit because she started handing out yellow cards left and right to Inter Miami. A couple of them were deserved, but and the other couple or the other three, I don't think were. I think it was five yellow cards in a stretch of like eight minutes there in this in the in, at the end of the first half, which I I thought she lost the plot there a little bit. Anthony Pulis also got a yellow card, which he was pretty, uh, pretty up, pretty annoyed about. I think Phil, he Phil was upset. Phil was upset at one point because you hear him on the broadcast saying, "Oh, uh, something along the lines of, of being quick to just to whip out the yellow cards at that point." And that was in the midst of this, of this stretch of yellow cards. Because look, Jairo Quinteros in the forty-second minute, Mo Adams in the forty-fourth, Noah Allen in the forty-fifth plus two, Gregory in the forty-fifth plus three, and then Damian Lowe in the forty-fifth plus three for. Uh, for not, I, I don't know if time wasting, but not, um, not listening to the ref because he was he was still arguing the call instead of getting on with with the play. So five yellow cards in a matter of five minutes or so, which was yeah. and they were all in, they were right. all for Inter Miami. None none were none were for Miami FC in that stretch in that stretch. So I I mean I understood Phil's frustration there in the game at that moment. 
I did think she she lost the plot a little bit there. That I wasn't sure. I could understand a couple of them, but I, I didn't understand why so many consecutive yellows, especially for some fouls that weren't really hard fouls. I don't know if if she thought that she was losing control of the game or if she was trying to get an inter Miami in order. I, I don't know. I just I was confused by the five yellows in in, in that short of a span. Just shows you that it was that was that kind of game, wasn't it? It was quite bitty and you know a few fouls. It's just ugly, ugly, ugly. An ugly win, an ugly performance, but Inter Miami got the job done. Okay, Steve. Before we wrap up the first segment, let's switch gears to a couple of things that happened on Tuesday, starting with a very pointed ad with regards to Inter Miami's pursuit of a stadium in the three hundred five. Now, this video caught a lot of people by surprise. It, it came out of nowhere, really. I, I didn't, I mean, it came via Billy Corbin's Twitter handle. And it included a message with, which if you haven't heard it or seen it, well, I'm going to spoil it for you here. There was a person speaking on a mic. His face was covered. His face was covered. You could not see the face. You only saw the mouth. But at the very end, the reveal was that it was David Sampson, the former Miami Marlins president, who helped negotiate with local politicians over the Marlins Park deal, which has obviously been criticized at length. Now, it was essentially just knives being thrown at Inter-Miami, right? That, that, that's how I took the video. Obviously, I think that's how anybody could take the video. There, there wasn't much room for, for other interpretation, I don't think. Just what did you think of that video um, overall? Well, I mean, you know, the Marlins have had a history of of bad crowds and, and it hasn't worked out. A huge outlay, hundreds of millions of dollars they spent on that stadium. Um, you know, the, the white elephant of, of Miami, you know, the tendencies are very, very bad. It caused a lot of lot of discontent with Miami residents because the taxpayer was, was left with a with a massive bill. So you've got to take put that into context and think that, you know, if it's coming from those kind of, quarters then um, there's a little bit of sour grapes or, or chips on their shoulder or or whatever you know again it, could it be that he's trying to have a go at the politicians and the other sort of uh, you know guys that are involved in in the deal so you know it's, it's just it's all about opinion isn't it would it be a good deal for miami uh, residents only time will tell to see what the actual package is but do you, first... do you think it will be do, I, from your from your seat right now today april 21st 2022 do you think it will be it will be a good deal for the for the <clears throat> excuse me for the city of it Miami depends, if it, it goes depends through. what they if they if they have all this infrastructure and all this business and all these you know sit, to create like the silicon valley of, of for central and south america in in south florida and it'll create a lot of jobs so it's not about a stadium then no, it's, it's never just about a stadium. No, no. Yeah, but it's not a stadium, is it? It's not a stadium deal. It's a real estate deal. It's not a stadium. Well, that's deal. that's that was one of the points in the video, which yeah. I mean, which yeah, that's it was true, it was saying that you know that you're going to get rid of a large green space for for more retail and more business yeah. and more and obviously a soccer stadium as well. I, for me, I thought the video was just more. Uh, it wasn't a go at the politicians as much. I mean, there, there was definitely some of that element included in there, but I think it was more of a don't let this stadium deal go through type of thing. I think that's the narrative they were trying to push. Like, I don't really have an overall opinion with regards to whether the stadium's going to be good or bad for the city of Miami. As a soccer person, it'd be great to have a, a soccer stadium in, in Miami, and I'm sure it would help Inter Miami out tremendously. But I don't know if it would be good for the city overall. I don't, I, I don't, I don't really know. I don't know the ins and outs of, of the politics and... And you know the the economic side of it. Like I, I'm, I'm a person that likes to stay focused on the rectangle 
and the little the little green rectangle in the in the venue. So I like to focus more on the soccer side of things. Obviously, things that surround uh, a club or an organization as well. But you know, in terms of all the politics and, and things like that, I've said it before on Miami Total Football Radio. You know, I, I, this conversation has bored me, and and I I really don't have an opinion. I, I you know I'm a very opinionated person in general. I don't have an opinion on this one. I don't know if it's good or bad, so I won't speak. Just you know, you can have an opinion on anything, but I, I personally choose not to have an opinion on something that I'm not completely familiar with. Although I will say. Like you, and like the video said, this is not just a stadium deal. Clearly, they want the land for other things as well, which they've, they've laid out, although they've emphasized, and when they say they, Inter-Miami, although they've laid out the plan that it's for a stadium, and they've talked about the other elements and aspects of it. I mean, they focus on the stadium, but there's definitely other parts at play there that they want that land for. So um, that's that's the only thing I can say with regards to that video. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's not a stadium deal. It's it's everything that comes in. It's the hotels, it's the retail park, it's all the business center, everything like that. But that's the only way that you're going to make, they're going to make any money out of it. You're not going to make money out of just having a 20,000-seater stocker stadium there. There needs to be other things and to drink, to bring other investors to the table. To drink? No, no, no. no. <laughs> you're trying to drink already, brother? It's not even noon yeah. yet. No, I feel like it. Um, you need to bring more, more to the table than just the soccer stadium. So, you know, you're not going to get big blue chip companies investing in stuff if it's just a, a 20,000 seater stadium so but there's so much that if we if we i don't think even if we sit here and think when's it going to happen within the next four years I'd, I'd be very very doubtful to be honest which sort of it's a shame because as i said when we met some of the guys afterwards and they were saying you know this is like a the home the home game for us which is kind of you know it sort of brought it home a bit it's quite a little bit a little bit sad because we had a bit of a journey to get down of course they have to cut, make that journey every other week to come back up to, to Fort Lauderdale so it's not it's not ideal and that just shows again like you know just the the the, the support the team gets from from a, a fan group or fan base that's not actually even ba- not even located in in Fort Lauderdale itself so it's there's so many different strands of this this situation but right right and that's that's why the team wants a stadium in Miami because they they believe no. they're under the impression that they will get more consistent higher turnouts if they're based in Miami and obviously that would also impact other things from a marketing side and, and all these other other elements that go into a professional soccer franchise this day and age. So, But look, someone's, someone in the fan base or people in the fan base are going to have it more difficult than others when it comes to stadium location. Because if they play in Miami, the people that are from the 954, they're going to have a, a, a longer trek down and you know that might dissuade people from making the, the drive just like it might dissuade people to come up to Broward County from Miami, from the 305, at different moments and in different games. So, you know, so Vice City has a lot of members in in in, uh, in Miami-Dade. And obviously, like like you just touched on, a few of them said, yeah, this is like five minutes from my house. But at some point, if they do move to a Miami stadium, then you're going to hear, or there's going to be people that live in the Broward County area that will be like, well, yeah, now that's really far from me, you know, Dry Pink Stadium's five minutes from me now, but now it's an hour and fifteen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you're you're going you're going to someone's going to to benefit, and someone's not going to benefit, regardless of where they play. It's just obviously such a big, big area in the South Florida market. Now, one last thing, one last thing before we wrap up this first segment that I think we have to touch on on the night of Inter Miami's one to zero victory over Miami FC in the Miami Clasico. The first time Inter-Miami has played a game professionally in Miami, which 
You can make of that what you will and you want. David Beckham was seen at the Miami Heat game. Not too far away. It was a home game for the Miami Heat. A playoff game. Their second one against the Atlanta Hawks. Miami Heat won. He was there with two of his kids, including his daughter. Cameras caught him. He was... He was, uh, you know, he wasn't hiding, but cameras saw him there in the stands, and and he had a moment with Jimmy Butler after the game. His daughter's a big Jimmy Butler fan, but I saw some people being critical of the moment and of his presence at the Miami Heat game as opposed to the Inter Miami U.S. Open Cup match. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, th- I think a couple of eyebrows were raised. I think if that if something similar happened, if he was like you know, the the chairman of Manchester United and then Man United were playing an FA Cup game and he was watching something else. And I think, you know, more eyebrows would have been raised and maybe something said, but it's with his kids. His daughter's obviously a fan. I don't know how long the, the kids are. His daughter's it's school holidays at the moment in England. So uh, it's a limited amount of time. Probably the only chance he can get to take her to a, to a playoff game. So... No, you can look at it. You can look at it both ways, really. I don't think it's it's not it's not too bad. I think he, he left himself open for criticism for sure, hundred percent. But you know, I, I think he's uh, he hasn't done he hasn't done too much wrong. The optics probably don't look that great, but you know, it's just just one of those things. I don't think it's it's too bad. There's worse things happening in the world right now. So I think that the the fact that he's with his family, I think that helps the perception of it a little bit. Because if he had just been by himself, then it definitely doesn't look good. It definitely doesn't look good. Maybe, you know, maybe based on the scheduling, I don't know, with his family and with his daughter, maybe this was the only game he could take her to and, and she really wanted to go. So, you know, that, that that side of it, a human side of it can be understandable. But from the outside, the optics do not look good, obviously. Optics are not the best when you have a soccer team playing not too far away, your soccer team, your franchise, and you're at the Miami Heat game. So I understand people's criticism, but I can also understand... Maybe there were reasons why David Beckham needed to be at that at that game. So I guess I'm riding the fence there. I'm pulling a Steve Brenner. I'm riding the fence there a little bit. But uh, no, no but I think that's I think that's correct. But I also understand people from the outside fans. He's a very public figure, and the owner and the face of Inter Miami. So I understand people being critical, especially when you see Jorge Mas taking pictures. Juxtaposition here at FIU Stadium with Inter-Miami fans in the pink jersey with the collar, and he's there, and he's happy. Actually, my brother ran into Jorge Mas and, and took a picture with him uh, walking around the, the bowels of FIU Stadium. So, uh, you know, Jorge Mas looked happy as can be that, that there was this festive, fun night. And obviously, when you compare that to David Beckham enjoying a nice leisurely evening at uh, at the basketball arena, then I can understand fans' frustrations or fans' being critical of that but again we don't know what's going on with David Beckham family so if there's if there's tight schedule if that's the only time he had to take her there in terms of Harper so you know that that has to be taken into consideration as well but let's leave it there let's leave it there we've talked quite a bit let's take a quick break we'll come back and preview the game against Atlanta United on Sunday afternoon from Inner Miami we will do that with Doug Roberson after this uh, we speak a lot about identity, and I think I think what we're seeing over the last over the last three or four games, we've seen a clear identity of team spirit and togetherness. And I think that's the, that's the, that's the start of the foundation which we want to build. We can play better football, we can get more rhythm. But today was just all about winning and being being in the next the next round. And uh, we've got a centre forward now that just wants to play every minute of every game and wants to score. That's scoring, uh, who, who looks the real deal. 
Okay, everyone, it's that time of week where we preview Inter-Miami's next game, and that takes place on Sunday afternoon at Drive Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale against Atlanta United, the fourth-place team in the Eastern Conference right now. Joining us to preview this game is the Atlanta United beat writer, and I say the Atlanta United beat writer because he's the number one beat writer over there in uh, in the ATL. His name is Doug Roberson, of course, of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Doug, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you all? We're good. We appreciate you coming on. Obviously, a interesting game for both teams coming off Open Cup victories. So let's just jump right into it because, obviously, I know you, you've got a lot to do as you get ready for for this weekend's game. A lot more training and a lot more availability to, to cover, I'm sure. So, Doug, Atlanta United has come into the season... A little bit hot and cold, a lot of injuries. Right now, they're in fourth place in the Eastern Conference with a three-win, two-draw, and two-loss record. Nine goals scored, nine goals against, obviously, zero-goal differential. What can you tell us about the start of the season for Atlanta United? It's been very odd. They've suffered many, many injuries, some season-long, some that just kept players out for a long time. They still have not been able to put their preferred starting 11 on the field, and they likely won't. Uh, well, I know they won't with Brad Guzan's season-ending uh, ruptured Achilles. Joseph Martinez is out for probably at least six more weeks uh, in a best-case scenario. But they still have a lot of talent. They just can't seem to get everybody on the same page at the same time, whether it's offense and defense, uh, for a full game. Um, they've scored – outside of last night's U.S. Open Cup, which they won 6-0 against Chattanooga. Yeah. One goal in their past three games. Uh, they'd gone um, about 350 minutes without a goal from the striker position, and that is not good. But Luis Araujo is coming back. Diego Almada is getting more uh, familiar with his teammates in Gonzalo Pineda's system. But they've just got to figure out a way to put the ball in the net. But the, the last goal they scored even came in the 94th minute of the game that they scored in an MLS play. So that the scoring issues have been persistent as of late. Although, like you mentioned, they did explode for six on, on Wednesday night. So what can we expect from Gonzalo Pineda's team? Or what do you think we can expect from Gonzalo Pineda's team on Sunday against an Inter-Miami team that is finding its footing a little bit? I won't say it's it's been completely convincing in the victories that it's had, even on Tuesday night against Miami FC. But they found ways to get things done, and, and they've been a bit better defensively. So will Gonzalo Pineda look to be the protagonist when he comes to South Florida, do you think? Or do you think Atlanta will take a more conservative approach and a more... Uh, sit back and try to hit on the counter type of approach. No, they'll, they'll attempt to be the protagonist. It's the issue they have is they, they typically dominate possession. They do create chances, but you wouldn't call them high quality chances. And the, the issue they've been having is unless they get a moment of individual brilliance, they simply don't score a goal. The, the passing and moving, the finding pockets of space, the, making defenders make decisions. They just haven't been doing a really good job of that. Mm. Gonzalo Pineda says they just have to be more clinical. He has been mostly happy with how they've played. They just need to be more clinical. He said that was the difference in last night's game, but that was a third division opponent. Miami is not a third division opponent. Um, it was a pretty strong lineup he used last night too. There were, I think, five traditional starters in the starting 11, and then he brought a few more guys 
off the bench who are who are starters, Diego Almada, Luis Araujo, Brooks Lennon. So I'm be curious to see if he does any rotation or if he uh, runs out a pretty strong 11 against Miami. And, and, and Doug, you know, I mean, with with Atlanta, we, we you know we deal especially with sort of fan expectations and, and what should be expected. And obviously they had such that early success, success in, uh, what, 2018. And it hasn't gone to plan as much since then. Are the fans still on board? Is, is everyone still sort of behind behind the team? Or is there a bit of lethargic sort of feeling amongst the fan base? How, how, do, you, how do you see it? It just depends. There's pockets of people that want uh, Darren Eels and Carlos Bocanegra gone. There's pockets of people who think Gonzalo Pineda is in over his head. There are pockets of people that say support the team no matter what. And then, you know, there are those who are uh, probably a little more level-headed and realize that the roster construction the past couple of years probably hasn't been good. Um, We know that that feeling, yeah. Yeah, that, you know, they've gone through several different managers with several different systems. Um, They haven't had Joseph Martinez has not been anywhere close to what he was uh, in, in two years now. And with MLS rules, if your DPs aren't producing, but they're under contract, you don't have a lot of options. Yeah. Um, and their previous DPs, Pitti Martinez, Ezekiel Barco, they were okay players, but they weren't truly impactful players. So those were kind of misses. The jury's still out on Arahujo. I think he could be really, really good. I think he could be an MVP candidate by the end of the season. And Tiago Almada looks like the real deal too, but you just got to wait and see. You just you just beat us to the punch on the next question, which is which players to keep to keep an eye out on. Obviously, there's been some moving parts there in Atlanta, and as you mentioned, Brad Guzan is out with an injury. So, what other players should Inter Miami fans keep an eye on? What what other players could be very very I won't say decisive, but very impactful in a game like this? Well, Arahujo, Almada, Marcelino Moreno divides opinion. Um, I think he dribbles way too much and he's, he's so one footed that he doesn't usually use the left side of the field. He's always looking to his right because he only has a right foot. Um, but th- they'll probably start across the midfield. I'm curious to see if Dom Dwyer who scored two goals for Atlanta United last night will start, or if it'll be, uh, Ronaldo Cisneros or Jackson Conway. Um, they've all three had, uh, opportunities at striker. Dwyer took advantage of his last night against Chattanooga with two really good goals. You've got a good center back pairing um, with Miles Robinson and and likely George Campbell. Mm-hmm. And then in the midfield, it'll probably be Santiago Sosa, I would think, and maybe Emerson Hyman or Amar Sadich. I don't know which one yet. I don't know if Emerson Hyman is 90 minutes fit yet. Okay. And I've got another one for you in terms of the matchup. Transitionally, defensively, how has Atlanta United been this season in terms of dealing with counterattacks, quick counterattacks? Because that is Inter-Miami's... As of late, their bread and butter, that is their recipe for success when, when the team attacks. And we saw against Miami FC on Tuesday when a, when a team gives the ball and lets Inter-Miami have the ball, Inter-Miami struggled, at least on Tuesday night, to create a whole lot. They couldn't find a way to break down the opponent. So how has Atlanta United been in terms of defensive transitioning? Last night, they were a little shaky, and Gonzalo Pineda pointed that out in his post-game press conference. He said they were missing some visual cues. Mm-hmm. I think for most of the season, they've been okay. They've had a ton of problems with set pieces, going back to the preseason, defending set pieces. Uh, if Miami is good there, that could be an opportunity for them to score. Um, and with the new goalkeeper in for Atlanta United, it'll likely be Bobby Shuttleworth. Okay. It's going to be interesting to watch the set pieces. He did a good job last night. Uh, with a few punches on some corner kicks that Chattanooga hit. 
right into the mouth of the goal. But it's, it's going to be interesting to watch for sure. Before we let you go, Doug, I want to ask you what your perspective from the outside is of Inter-Miami, right? You've seen the team come in. You've seen the team struggle. You've seen the team have issues on and off the field. You chuckle there. You did, you did a little laugh. But just I'm curious to hear. I know we've talked. We've been friends for a good few years now, good colleagues. Um, but I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on the state of Inter-Miami right now. They're winning these last three games uh, across all competitions. But they have the Gonzalo Higuain um injury and, and where he fits in the whole bigger picture and obviously the the off-field incidents over the last few years have also been of high profile so just your thoughts on inter miami as a whole i'm looking forward to seeing you on sunday i'll be down there <laughs> awesome good good um, to hear yeah miami is a franchise that kind of like to me cincinnati kind of like minnesota in its first couple of years it didn't really have a plan it was just kind of doing things on, it looked like it had a plan, like we're going to sign young South Americans. And then it kind of pivoted to a different plan in the midseason, and then it pivoted again, and all the management changeover. It simply needs to breathe. Mm-hmm. It needs to figure out what it wants to do, breathe, and kind of follow that plan. Um, be patient. I don't know if David Beckham, who's had success everywhere he's been, has an ability to be patient. Um I think that he... He was patient at the read, Miami Heat game the other night. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he read the waters of, of Miami politics yeah. very well or, or wasn't advised very well. Right. Um, I, I know he played in MLS, but I don't think he was advised very well on the intricacies of the rules right. and, the, and the difficulty in building a roster. Um, I don't know what happened with the first manager. I thought it was a good hire, but it seems like there was just no teamwork going on. Mm. So they just need to be patient. You know, figure out what your plan is, whatever that may be, and just relax and kind of let it develop. There it is from Doug, one of the nicest media members, by the way, in all of MLS. He's got that Southern hospitality thing going on. Doug, before we let you go, where can people find your work? I mean, anyone that's following Atlanta United stuff probably already follows you, but for those Inter Miami fans that are listening who may not be familiar, who aren't following you, where can they find your work, Doug? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and I also have a podcast called Southern Fried Soccer that comes out probably twice a week. It can be found on iTunes, uh, Spotify, wherever you get your Google, wherever you enjoy your podcasts. I would appreciate a follow and a, and a rating and a sharing. That would be fantastic. And thank you for letting me plug myself. Yeah, no problem at all. And we thank you for coming on. Obviously, you've had thank me you so you've, you've had me on Southern Southern Fried Soccer, so I you know, I had to return the favor and have you on to preview <laughs> to preview this weekend's game. Normally, normally we ask our guests on this podcast, which is called Miami Total Football Radio in English, but since we're in South Florida, I also do it in Spanish, Miami Total Football Radio, and we roll the R's and everything. Normally, I ask our guests to give it a shot just to see how it goes. Some are really good, some are not so good. I don't know if you're up for it. Let's see, are you up for it? Uh, Sure, you gotta say it again. Okay, so it's Miami Total Football Radio in English, and then if you want to do it in Spanish, it'd be Miami Total Football and then radio with the rolling of the R's. If you can, I don't know. Give it your best shot. Miami Total Football Radio. Miami Total Football Radio. Hey! 
Hey, okay. Hey, hey. All right. Hey, that's better. That is better than Steve. <laughs> that is better than Steve Brenner's Miami Total Football Radio attempts. That's fantastic. Doug Roberson, everybody. Thank you so much, Doug. We will see you on Sunday afternoon. Really looking forward to the game and, of course, to, to having some words in person once again. So thank you again for joining us, Doug. All right, buddy. Thank you. Take thank care. You, Bye-bye. Man. Okay, Primo, it's Q&A time. So let's try to power through. We already know the, the process. We already know the deal. So let's start with Beef. He asks, I have the biggest of questions. Iguain is healthy. He comes back. Who takes the bench? Sad face teardrop emoji. Does Phil have the campanas to bench Iguain permanently? So we've talked about this quite a bit over the last few weeks on Miami Total Football Radio. I am fully convinced, and I believe Steve is as well, that Iguain will be a substitute once he's back. Because Campana is in too good a form to be benched, and I don't think Phil Neville will go with Gonzalo Iguain and Leonardo Campana on the field at the same time, given the improved performances from the team. Jose has disagreed with that very, very strongly. He believes Gonzalo Iguain will return to the lineup in some way, shape, or form, but Steve and I do not share that opinion. Correct, Steve? Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, like we, we we just bigged up Campania as well. I mean, he's never he's never going to drop him in this in this form unless he plays two up front, which he's probably not going to do anyway. So, um, no, you've got to got to stick with it. Next question comes from Wario sixty four, aka Bernie. <laughs> yes, and he says Phil says he's all in for the Open Cup, but we saw him play a dangerous game by rotating six players and trusting Drake. It did pay off, but can we trust that Phil is really all in? And he puts all in in quotation marks because that's what, you know, that's what Phil Noble and Inter Miami had, had said out loud. Bernie finishes his tweet with, I hope he rest starters against Charlotte away and lets them warm up second half to be ready for Orlando. So he's assuming that the Open Cup game will be against Orlando, unless he's going to rig the draw again. <laughs> Just kidding, Bernie. I know you didn't rig the first one, but maybe, maybe you did. I don't know. But anyway... Steve, can you trust and can Inter-Miami fans trust that Phil and Inter-Miami are really all in on the Open Cup after seeing the lineup he trotted out on Tuesday night? Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, think, I think so. I mean, if, if they play an MLS team, I think maybe the, 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 the squad will be stronger, the starting line will be stronger. Um, and, you know, he made the point also that the winners of the Open Cup can get into the, into the CONCACAF Champions League, which is also... Uh, Something which the club never done before, and would be another sort of feather in his cap. So, um, yeah, I think they'd go stronger the next game. Maybe not full strength, but again, it depends on on what the state of play is in terms of MLS and how they're doing there. So, um, I expect a little bit stronger. Maybe not full strength. We'll have to. You but know, that's not the see, no, no, no. see, that's not the question, Steve. All, can different? we can we expect or can we trust? Excuse me. Can we trust that Phil's really all in? I think so. Yeah, he wants to win. Yeah, all sure. in, all in. That means that means that he's prioritizing it ahead of anything else. No, but you're not going to prioritize it ahead of of winning the of, of the league, though, are you? You're not. I mean, you just. But they're not. I mean, they're, are you saying they're going to win the league? No, but they they've got that. You know, the 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 aim to get into the into the playoffs. Yes. That's the that's the aim, isn't it? That's the aim. So, 
my answer will be a little bit more straightforward because Steve kind of going in circles there without really giving us a direct response. I don't think we can trust Phil Neville's saying that they're all in at this point in time. Because, you know, on, and again, go back to Kidology, you can call it whatever you want. But he said that they're not in a position to rotate. He said that they're not, that, that they're going all in on this tournament. And then he fields a lineup that is not their best, not at strength. And I asked him after the game what went into the decision to make that many changes. Was it, you know, seeing tired legs? Was it, and, and he just said, you know, the, the form that some of the players were in. He didn't say directly that it was due to fatigue from the travel back from Seattle. So he wanted to rotate. That's perfectly fine. But when you rotate and you're not playing your strongest lineup after you say the day before you're not in a position to do so, well, then clearly you're not taking it as serious as you claim to be. Because if this was an MLS Cup final, you're not rotating those players. You know, you rotate those players because you think you can still get the job done with those that you have on the field. But, you know, that obviously doesn't mean that you're all in. All in. So, anyway. Next question comes from Don Cafecito. How was Miami FC super hincha Jose Armando doing after the cut match? Campapi will get all the attention for his goal, but I think Calendar had a monster game, and without him, Inter Miami loses this match. Man of the match, agree. So, we've both answered the second question. Yes, absolutely. Drake Calendar, man of the match. Goal scorers get all the love. They get all the attention. They get all the highlights, but... They t- or they tend to anyway, but Drake Calendar, absolutely for me. And I think Steve agreed, man of the match, hands down. As for how Armando, Jose Armando was doing, I wish he's he was okay. here. I wish he was here yeah. to say. I wish he was here he's to big. say. He's got too much other stuff going on right now. He's, uh... <laughs> he's, a big, he's big time. He's big time now. He's doing some TV yeah. stuff. So, you know what happens when you do some TV stuff, man, you know. No, we've lost him, man. We've lost we him. might, yeah, we might be losing. He might be going Hollywood on us. But, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about it 100%, even if it's just for two minutes or so. Next week when we have him back on. Well, He's... also we're both we me and Jose will also both be uh, swanning around the F one uh, track in a couple of weeks when the oh you'll be swanning happens. you won't be swanning he'll be in in you know yeah, sweating yeah. in the sun and you'll back, you'll be back at, the, back at the scene of our tennis glory we're now just swapping that for F one so we don't you know we don't there's so many strings to our bows you know Steve, Steve is being very very uh, I don't want to say bashful. I, can't, I can never think of the word. I have so many words in English and Spanish that I lose words all the time. It happens to me in Spanish too. I'm like, I'll, I get stuck think, looking for it and it takes me a bit. Modest. But, yes, Steve, you're being modest. Thank you, Steve. That's a that's, uh, Robert Taylor-like assist. Steve is going to be sipping some type of beverage cocktail in probably air conditioning while Jose is out in the sun sweating because Steve has uh, some very important friends in high places. So there you go. We'll and, I, and I heard this. I heard this up close and personal on the road trip. So yeah, Steve. Mm-hmm. Steve's being modest, but yeah. Okay, let's go. Let's do one more. Let's do one more. Comes from Daniel K. Seven games in and Gregory already has a suspension. Lo, Mota, and Adams all have three yellow cards already. Should we be worried? He has a second... Tweet that says, I believe Inter Miami's two players. Oh, excuse me. I believe Inter Miami two players were allowed to play in the Miami Derby. Why weren't any of them at least on the bench to fill up the spots? The fact we needed our whole starting lineup in the second half to win 1 0 is worrying thoughts. So let's start with the first one and then we'll finish with the second one since it kind of rounds out the show with where we started. So, Primo, seven games in. Gregory's already suspended. Lo, Mota, and Adams all have three yellow cards. Is that worrying? 
Uh, no, I mean, it's just it's symptomatic of their roles, I guess. You know, they're both, you know, Motta is more of a, a, a battler or, or, you know, midfield kind of terrier than, than we thought. So they're getting stuck in. I think that's the thing. Yeah, they maybe have to temper it. Greg, Gregory's, um, he likes to get, you know, get, throw a few tackles around. So that's just, yeah, symptomatic of, of, of their roles and how they how they play, really. So um, it's not, not great, but... You know, he's got Damien Lowe obviously got sent off on, in the week, although that's not going to impact him in MLS. So, uh, you know, but I think you've got to you've got to put yourself about. It's a physical league; you've got to get stuck in and um, and put yourself about, and that's what they're doing. But it does come at a, a cost, actually, and that's why you need as deep a roster as possible. So I agree that it's part and parcel for the positions they play. One, it's also a sign of the team that Inter Miami is, and it's just, it goes back to last year as well because a lot of people criticized Nicolas Figal, Leandro Gonzalez-Pires for the amount of cards that they picked up. Gregory as well had a lot of cards last year. But when you're a team that's defending and on the back foot, not the front foot, more often than not, then you're breaking up plays. You're looking to break up plays more often. And that's going to inevitably lead to fouls. That's going to inevitably lead to some yellow cards or more yellow cards. So I think it's just an extension of Inter-Miami being a counter-attacking team or a team that's not very good in possession so yes maybe the players could be smarter in certain situations but i just think it's a it's a it paints the picture of the team inter miami is and and it did last year and it's doing so again at the start of 2022 you don't have the ball you're looking for the ball you're chasing after the ball eventually you chase after the ball you're going to commit fouls Last question, again, it comes from Daniel K, and he talks about how we started the show. Is it worrying that Inter-Miami needed its whole lineup in the second half to beat Miami FC 1-0? Primo, you can round out your thoughts. No, not at all. That was that was the whole that was the whole point, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, he didn't put a strong a strong team out to start it, but hope, he was hoping that that would, Phil was hoping that would be the one that would potentially get him a result, but you then just do throw on your, your bigger guns, just knowing that they, they could make a difference, and and they did, and that that was it. And even you know, Anthony Pulis admitted that that afterwards, once they set on set sent on the pace of like Lassiter and, and Yedlin, that was just the the difference. It's just that added bit of quality. You'd be upset oh if your impact players didn't make didn't make a didn't make a. Um, is that really your analysis? Is that your analysis, or is that are you just regurgitating what Anthony Pulis said? Because no, I think I, what, I what, think really what did Ariel Lassiter do? That was so dangerous there on the right no, side. No, they were just not nothing dangerous, but they just. You just said just, he brought in this speed that, like, so how did the speed yeah, impact he got the game? The, he got on the ball, he, he buzzed around a bit. It just gives the, the Miami defenders who are already super tired and more problems to think about and different things. Super to, tired. To, they changed. Uh, they changed two of their two of their defenders at halftime. Well, whatever. Just, you, know what, wait, you know what I'm trying to say. I don't you know, know what you're trying to say. Your your analysis is throwing me for a loop because I don't know what you're trying to say. You're, I, you, I think you're just regurgitating points that are being said in post game press conferences as opposed to you seeing the game and saying, "Look, this is what I thought went well, and this is what I thought did not go well." You well, just I that when they came on, they just they just posed different questions and it just helped them just 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 get take the game away from them slightly. I mean, that that was it really. Hmm. Yes, it's worrying that it took Inter Miami to the second half with their starting lineup. Off of a play that's not a not a clean play. It's not clean build up. It, there's it's dirty and you know in turn in that way of saying it that it took a, a fortuitous bounce as well. Now Campana scores a goal and again there's merit in not playing well and finding a way to win. But this was Inter Miami versus a team from a lower lower division. Inter Miami should have just like Columbus should have just like any team that lost in this run in this in this round 
should have performed better. They should have performed better. And you're expected to perform better when you're the MLS team against an inferior opponent. And that's, and that's you know, we can take it out of MLS. We can take it out of the Open Cup. Any cup competition around the world, the first division teams are expected to beat the lower division teams. They, sometimes they don't. And those teams rightly get criticized. Squeaking out 1-0 wins, as I asked Steve after the game, which I forgot to mention in the first segment, would Manchester United get criticized for that type of performance in a 1-0 FA Cup win over... Pick a, pick, a lower, pick a lower level team. Absolutely, they would get criticized. Absolutely, they would be ripped for not playing well. For, but it would be a million times worse if they would have lost. I'm not making that argument. I'm making the argument that Manchester United, as the top level team, would get criticized for just squeaking out a result against, I don't know, pick, pick who's, your, who's your team Carlisle. in England? Who's, no, who's your team in England? West Ham. West Ham, okay. But not West Ham against... Carlisle United in League Two. Well, League Two is a lot lower division, but anyway, okay. You get the you you know. You, I hope the paint the picture we painted, you know, makes the point because Inter Miami did not play well. There's definitely criticism to be had for that performance. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. But anyway, that rounds out our initial thought to start the show. So that does it for our Q and A session. We will give our final thoughts on anything, anything you want, anything you want, Primo. The floor is yours. You can defend your DJing if you want. Because like I told you before, I don't think I'll be having you at any of my parties selecting the music. We're not giving you the iPhone. We're not giving you the Bluetooth. No chance. No chance. I was mixing it up nicely. A bit of like, you know, I had a bit of Cypress Hill going on, a bit of New Order. Um, what else was I playing? Um, some some rock stuff. Um <laughs> Some, some talking heads. You don't even know talking heads are, do you? you know, stuff like that. It's just yeah, it's musical education. But uh, I just want to say, you know, we, we parked up in the sort of grounds of, of, of near the baseball stadium, walked to it. We, we, just, we were not by the baseball stadium. We were by baseball what? fields. We, let, baseball we, field, we, ended up, we ended up in, in a park somewhere on the west side of FIU Stadium somehow. Steve also is uh, gets lost very quickly, I've noticed. This is my first time having a road trip with him. I'm going to drive next time so you can criticize my driving. But okay, Steve, <laughs> Steve got lost. Uh, not lost, but Steve got got. Misrouted at some point because uh, I don't I don't know I think he was multitasking or, or something happened but yeah yeah. <laughs> well I just thought it was cool you know going to the ground a lot of mingling with the fans it was super busy outside because it was close to kickoff and then just it just you had like a sort of you know that big sort of match match feel and just as I said from from meeting some of the guys afterwards it just uh, it just brought home that the, the, you know the club have got such you know great support and there's good support for soccer just generally in this in this area and long may that continue. Okay, my final thought. Well, I have two final thoughts. One is on the Open Cup in general. Uh, it's a shame that we don't get more games like that in American soccer. Not Open Cup, but just that type of tension, that level of tension. We ran into different people, Steve and I, over the course of the night on Tuesday. And you could see that Inter Miami was feeling a little bit of pressure with every passing minute that they didn't score a goal. And then once that goal came late on, you felt like there was an, an exhale of sorts, a, a, a bit of relief, a bit of relief. So, you know, that type of pressure is lacking in a lot of MLS games because the season is long and, you know, you're fighting for playoff spots but no no relegation. So 
Shame that there's not more games like that, but yeah, just wanted to touch on that because I did think that was an interesting element of Tuesday. Now, the other talking point that I want to share and the final thought I have is Inter Miami got their new training jerseys on Monday, their new 2022 training jerseys, and they wore them at practice, and I imagine they'll wear them from here on through the rest of the season. Now, why did it take until almost May for that to happen when we had seen leaks way back when? Well, because Adidas has been having, from what I've been told from multiple sources, shipment problems. It's not just an Inter Miami specific thing. It's They've been having shipment issues with different stores and different different uh, teams. So that's why Inter Miami, if you've noticed, has been trickling in their new equipment and their new gear little by little, as opposed to having most of it at the start of the year and using it from preseason day one on. You've seen them introduce different things at different times, whether it's their new shorts that they started wearing a few weeks ago and now their new pink training tops. So if you want to see what it looks like, by the way, make sure you check out uh, at Franco Panizo on Twitter or the Miami Total Football Instagram page. There's a picture of Mo Adams that he so kindly let me take so you guys could see it. It's, it's more, it's a brighter pink, like a more electric pink. But anyway, uh, it has a different design too. So they got a, it's got a V-neck, the, the, white, the white lines on the side. It's not black lines, they're white lines now. They're on the side and on the shoulders. But anyway, just check it out. And that does it for this week's show. Thank you guys again so much for listening. We'll be back again early next week to recap this game against Atlanta United and look forward to what is next for Inter Miami, including their U.S. Open Cup opponent. But for Steve Brenner, El Primo, I am Franco Penizo. You have been listening to Miami Total Football Radio. I'll talk to you guys again.